later, my mom was sent to prison. Once we received the phone call where she said that she had met a pastor at the prison that had an orphanage with kids, my mom asked if we could stay there. So I arrived at the orphanage at the beginning of the year of 2010, and I would hear, oh, God loves you, and we'd go to Bible study because we do devotionals every morning, but I really didn't care, and it's almost like I had like a wall.
now, that'd be a good sermon, wouldn't it? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Woo! My goodness, if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me, please, to the prophet Jeremiah. Prophet Jeremiah. I had a lot of fun this morning, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did this week. Uh, God is good, and He has been speaking to Johnson Avenue Baptist Church. Let me tell you right now, uh, it was a good break last week, and I know y'all enjoyed our evangelist. Came out to that chalk drawing. It was really neat to see, but it is nice to get back to business as usual. Amen? I couldn't wait to get back. I thought I was going to pop last week. Sitting in there in the pews, and it was neat to see and hear. But my goodness, it's hard sometimes to not get up and preach. So, Prophet Jeremiah, please. And the title of this morning's message is Horse Sense. We're going to talk a little bit about horse sense. When I was growing up, that was a common phrase in my house. But it was usually directed to me. You don't have the sense. God gave a horse. <laughs> and you can see our horse up there this morning. Uh, nice looking horse. He's a friendly looking fellow. Uh, but what is horse sense? And where do they come from? Well, let me just tell you a little bit about that. Horse sense is an old phrase. We don't hardly use it anymore. And that means that you have the ability to buy a good horse. You bought a horse that was worth your money. In the Wild West days, in 1800, early 1900s, a, a man or a woman would go shopping for a horse, and they would have to have horse sense to buy a good horse. You don't want to buy one that was too old, because it would die on you. You don't want to buy one that was too mean-spirited, or it would buck you off. Uh, you don't want to buy one that was too lazy, or it didn't do enough work. So you had to learn to look in its mouth, and look at its teeth, look at its eyes, look at its, its feet, its hooves, and its back, see how swayed it was, see how hard work it was, and you had developed over the years bought a good horse. Now, nowadays, uh, we go out and we buy a car, and we take our mechanic friend or our husband with us, and they have car sense nowadays. Go like this, Joe. Same thing. Same thing that's there. We're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 8, and I want you to remember about horse sense, what it means to have to know what you're looking at. In fact, horses are going to be a part of our message this morning. This is Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 6. I want to warn you, we're going to jump around quite a bit this morning. We're going to learn a little bit, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Jeremiah 8, verse 6, the Bible says, I listened and heard, but they do not speak aright. No man repented of his wickedness, saying, What have I done? Everyone turned to his own course, and the horse rushes into the battle. Let's pray for the Lord and the Lord. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I want to thank you, Lord God, for your word. And I pray right now, Lord, your word will work Listen, Lord, would you teach us and speak to us as we, Father God, fall under conviction. I pray, Lord Jesus Christ, you bring those that need to come to know your personal Lord and Savior to this day, Lord, where they would repent and trust you. I pray, Father, for those that are not right with you, may it be the day they would come back home, Lord, as the prodigal sons and daughters. And I pray, Father God, that there would be worship today in your house. May we, Lord God, lift up and exalt your name, and may you be glorified, for we give you the praise and honor and glory. Though I don't want to spend a lot of time on him, Jeremiah is also known as the weeping prophet. And the reason why is he delivers his messages with tears. Those of you that can read Hebrew, you can almost hear the tears in his message. You can feel the passion in what he preaches. Jeremiah, or Jeremiah Yahoo, Jeremiah is one who brings about a, a very powerful message. And the message is, is God is punishing us. We must admit to the punishment and repent. 
proper context for you. Let's put it in the year 2021. And I believe the United States of America, God, God forgive me if you don't agree with me, please you forgive me, but I believe the United States of America is fit for God's judgment. I believe that we have killed enough children, we've embraced immorality, that we have taken that which is good and called it evil, and taken that which is evil and called it good. And I believe that we are now right where Jeremiah told the country of Israel was. He preached to them that God is punishing us for what is coming from these outside invaders is God's punishment. Surrender. Submit. Repent. And of course, they refused to do that. In fact, they got very harsh and violent with Jeremiah. So let's put that in a 2021 spin, if you will. Let's just say that things go already from bad to worse with China. And as they begin to invade us, God calls one prophet, one prophet in the nation of the United States, not many, one prophet who stands up and preaches to the nation, this is God's judgment. We're patriotic people. We'd be like, no way. No way. We're proud of our military. God rightfully so, amen. But if it's ordained of God, nothing can fight against it, amen. And of course, we would turn away from that prophet's message and say, he's wrong. Now you understand Jeremiah's position. And you would preach to him in tears. And let me tell you, you can learn so much through Jeremiah. If they cannot feel your compassion, let them see it in the tears on your face. If they cannot know your compassion, let them hear it in the words out of your voice. And Jeremiah would just stand like that. And he preached a powerful message. That message was that you would respond. And God could take a covenant that was written in stone and write it on his heart and flesh. know what new covenant that is. It's a covenant written in the blood, the blood of the Lamb. And Jeremiah preached to them. He said, repent. Here he gives a message saying, what have I done? No one is repenting. Everyone turns his own course and supports the rest of these guys. To give you a proper perspective on that verse, I want you to think of a war horse. A medieval war horse, if you will. It's covered in armor. And this horse lusts after the smell of blood and his rider is unseated from him and perhaps wounded with an arrow or perhaps pulled off and killed and the horse has passed no rider. Yet he rushes into battle and he rises to battle because he knows the smell and he feels the fear and that's something horses know. He doesn't know who the enemy is. He doesn't know what side he'll be on. But he rushes in there and Struggle only to discover that they do not even know who their 
morning we will look at what happens when we stop thinking like animals. And let me tell you, we can murder our own children. You're thinking that morning. Let's look at three examples this morning from the Bible of people who lost their Our first picture this morning is of Nebuchadnezzar, and there he is out in the field. Most of us know his story. He became a prideful person, and God humbled him in very unique ways. How I many of you know that sometimes God brings people to power for reasons? In fact, he has a famous quote, and I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to uh, kind of paraphrase it a little bit, but he says, The Most High God rules over the kingdom of men and does with them whatever he pleases. You might be saying, who said that, Pastor? Some seminarian? Some wonderful Bible scholar? No! Nebuchadnezzar said that. An evil king. The most pagan of all those evil kings. So pagan, he set up a statue to him and declared that all the world should worship him. We've read that in the book of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar said these words. He said, the Most High God rules over the kingdom of men and does with them whatever He pleases. Let's take a look at how Nebuchadnezzar lost his pulse sense, if you will. Daniel chapter 4, verses 28 and 33. Here's our first look this morning at a person who started animal-like thinking, started losing his pulse sense, started losing his uh, common sense. Daniel 4, verses 28 and 33. The Bible says, All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of the 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. And to give you a context of it, he had had a dream. And that dream was bothering him. He dreamed about a tree. And that tree was large, and it fed all the animals and the birds of the world. And uh, it was a tremendous tree. Well, eventually it gets cut down. And he calls for Daniel, or in his language at that time, he calls him Belshazzar, right? So he brings him in to his throne room, and Daniel interprets the dream for him and says, it's a warning from God. You have to quit being so prideful, so arrogant, so stuck up. I'm talking, he's so high up that if it rains, he begins to drown. He's one of those guys that walks around saying, when in doubt, pinky out. He's one of those guys. Nebuchadnezzar had that dream. And the Bible tells us just a year later, look at me in verse 29, at the end of the 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. And remember, Babylon was one of those seven wonders of the ancient world. had those hanging gardens inside of it. He was walking upon his, his walls that have never been defeated. His kingdom had never lost a battle. He's walking upon them. Kind of beat his chest a little bit. He spoke and said, Is not this great Babylon that I've built for a world dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? Now we know why Nebuchadnezzar was rose up. We've read the prophets. He was there to bring punishment. Remember Jeremiah? He said, Did I not do this myself? Let me, let me put it to you in modern day context. He was walking upon his big walls. He was like, You know what, Nebby baby? You a bad man. Look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. Look at how great, powerful, and wonderful I am. And all of a sudden, things changed. Verse 31. While the words were still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, 
to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. That very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of the heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. How many of you know that the claws and feather things is no longer cool in our society? Nebuchadnezzar had become animal-like. Nebuchadnezzar had lost his mind. He, began, he became the king who was in the palace who ended up in the pasture. He went from the throne to the field. The Bible tells us his hair grew out like feathers. It got mangled and matted with the dirt and with the dew, and it was feather-like. And his fingernails grew out like bird's claws. He was in the pasture. Could you imagine the Babylonian press corps in those days? They showed up in there. They say, King Nebuchadnezzar, what are you going to do next? He's like, <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Could you imagine what that was like? Nebuchadnezzar for seven years lived out in the field, lost his mind, living like a cow, eating grass, and wondering in his mind inside, what does the Most High God demand of me? And when he comes to his senses, he says, this is my conclusion after seven years of living like an animal. And that conclusion is that the Most High God rules over the kingdom of men and does with them whatever he pleases. He was the king, went from a palace to the pasture, from the throne to the field. His hair grew out like feathers and his fingernails like claws. He had lost his horses and he started acting animal-like. In a sense, he was a horse running into battle without a rider saying, what am I supposed to be doing here? And you know you might be sitting in the pew this morning. And you might be saying to yourself this morning, Pastor Joshua, I don't know what I'm doing. I feel like no one's leading me, no one's guiding me, no one's directing me, and I don't know what to do, and I don't know where to go. I see a battle, I run into it, and I feel so lost. I see something going on, I run over to it, and I feel so knocked out. You know, that's a lot of people nowadays, isn't it? That's a lot of people who are sitting there saying, I just don't know where to go. Nebuchadnezzar lost his mind. This happened to King Nebuchadnezzar, even though he had witnessed firsthand. Daniel interpreted. Remember the dream that he had at first? He had a dream about statues that came, and he wouldn't tell anybody what his dream was, yet he laid out a decree to all of his, his people and his kingdom, saying, if you can't tell me what I dreamed and interpret what I dreamed, I'm going to kill you. And Daniel showed up and told the king what he dreamed and interpreted it. He witnessed that firsthand and declared that the God of Daniel was the God of all gods. He had seen firsthand the fiery furnace when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's where he had built that statue to himself, and he declared all throughout his kingdom that you must worship it whenever you hear the music playing. That wasn't a set time. That was whenever they felt like it. They had stopped what they were doing to worship the statue of the king. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to do so. They were brought before the king. The king said, let me see you worship it. They said, we're not going to do it because we believe in our God. And you know the rest of the story. He put into a fiery furnace. Isn't it amazing that our God has a way 
of turning fiery furnaces into dance halls of victory within you? Isn't it amazing how our God can take us through the fire without the smell of smoke on our clothes? Isn't it amazing how our God can deliver and no other God can? Our God reigns supreme and Nebuchadnezzar witnessed that King. Don't start singing the circle of life, please, whatever you do. But do you remember what the daddy lion said to the baby lion? He said, our kingdom is wherever the light touches. That's kind of what Nebuchadnezzar was saying to his daddy as he walked out on that wall. Look what I've done. Look what I've created. What God is saying is I will share my glory with no one. I rose you Saying, 
ought to put that joker up for sale quick. He said, my donkey talks. He speaks. I was told it quick, but you know, Balaam, he had a conversation with the donkey. Go with a normal person. He's got a loser's horse joke there, doesn't he? You know what's funny to me? I'm a, a man with four kids, and I watch my kids talk to our dogs like they're human beings. <laughs> my wife is saying, so do you. You know what's even stranger is when we talk back for the animals. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. Let's take a look at Numbers 22, verses 22 to 31. This is a little bit of reading here, but go with me here. Verse 22, Numbers 22. Then God's anger was aroused because he went. And the angel of the Lord took the stand in the way of the adversary against him. And he was riding on a donkey, and his two servants were with him. Now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. So Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in the narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. Verse 25, when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam's anger was aroused, and he struck the donkey with his staff. And so begins the conversation. Look at me in verse 28. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, that's how you say his name, Jesus, Balaam, Balaam, what have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Never been so mad that you will try your best to reason with an animal? Never been so mad that you will try to argue with somebody who makes no sense? Yeah, you have. I have been in cars with some of y'all driving down the road and you try to argue with someone who can't even hear you. Go like this. That means amen in the Baptist church. Right? Never get in the car with my wife. She's going to yell at somebody through the car window. I'm so grateful they can't hear. The Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Now, Balaam didn't know that that donkey had saved his life. And there's a lot to learn in this picture here. And I don't want to go into a lot of Balaam, but I want you to understand something. Balaam is supposed to be a prophet. Balaam is supposed to know who God is. Yet Balaam could not even see the angel, but the donkey could. And number one lesson we need to learn from this, and sometimes we think we're so high and mighty and spiritual, yet we're so blinded by the things of this world that a donkey is more spiritual than we are. The Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam just talked to that donkey like he was normal. Balaam said to the donkey, because you refused me. I wish there were sin in my hand, for now I would kill you. You ever been that mad? You ever wished for that? You ever heard that old story about the farmer and his wife? They were out digging, and they found a magical lamp. They were so poor, they knew what it was, though. They rubbed that lamp. Out came the genie. And the genie said, I'll give you three wishes. And the farmer's wife was so hungry, she said, wonderful, I wish for a sausage right now. And a sausage appeared in her hand. And the farmer got so mad at her wasting a sausage, he said, I wish that sausage was on the end of your nose. Of course, they had to use a third wish to get it off of her nose. Be careful what you wish for. You just may get it. Look here, verse 29. And Balaam said to the donkey, because you've abused me, I wish there were a stone in my hand. And now I would kill you. Donkey, do to Balaam. That donkey took him out of his path, 
that donkey, pushed his foot up against the wall, and that donkey laid down. There is so much we can learn from that. And we need to understand as Christians, sometimes we just get mad for no reason, and we end up trying to kill relationships, don't we, over things that just don't matter. Look at what the donkey says. What have I done to you? I saved your life. You don't even know it. You couldn't see what was there because you're so blinded by your anger. Balaam said to the donkey, I wish I had a sword in my hand. You have, you've insulted me. You hurt my little bitty teeny tiny foot. You did that, donkey. You hurt my feelings. You insulted me. You made me look like a donkey by going into a field. Right here. God is not a man that he should lie. 
nor a son of man that he should repent. He has said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? The point is here that God is not like us, and he cannot be manipulated by us, and we cannot force him to do anything. Let's talk about fasting for a minute, which is a practice I very seldom do. Take a good look at that. Isn't it nice to laugh in the house of God? You say, Pastor, do you believe in fasting? Absolutely. In the right context. In the right context of it. Let's say we use fasting as a means of trying to manipulate God into doing something. All you're going to do is stay hungry. All you're going to do is say, God, how come you're not hearing me? God's like, "Uh, you need to be a part of my will. I don't do or bend to your will. It's the other way Think about it like this. How many of you, when you were young, ran away from home? Don't raise your hand. You got on your bicycle. It was before lunchtime. And you pedaled that bike down the street, down the street. And every neighbor you passed was having lunchtime. And the closer and closer it got to 12 o'clock, the hungrier and hungrier you got. The further and further you pedaled that bike, the hungrier and hungrier you became. And you think to yourself, you know, I think me and Mom can work this out. That's what happens when we go on a hunger strike. Fasting is meant in a time of worship. Not in a God, I want you to do something for me. It's a time of worship. It's a devotional time. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and he will not make it good? You cannot manipulate God into doing your will. And Balaam thought, perhaps I could go up top of the mountain and I can talk God into doing what I want him to do. Perhaps I can mislead God, or perhaps I can talk him into something I want done. God is not that way. That's not that way this morning. We're just sitting there trying to make a deal with God. You say, God, if you will do this for me, I will do that for you. God, if you will fix this for me, then I will give you my heart and my life. Can I tell you a little spiritual truth this morning? God's not up in heaven saying, let's make a deal. God's up in heaven saying, this is the deal. And the deal is that you need to repent and put your trust in Jesus Christ. Let's take a look at our third picture this morning. It's Peter. It's Peter. One of our favorite guys. Peter is the ultimate Baptist. He has what we call the foot-in-the-mouth disease, making him a southern Baptist at that. Go like this. Peter is one of those wonderful guys that we can all relate to. He messes up. He asks for forgiveness. He messes up again. He asks for forgiveness. He ends up being one of the greatest ministers this world has ever known. Matthew chapter 17, look at me, verses 24 and 27. When he had come to Capernaum, Capernaum, those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, Did your teacher not pay the temple tax? Isn't that amazing? They went to Peter and said, Does the rabbi pay the temple tax? Well, hopefully the rabbi, but they went to Peter. And Peter spoke presumptuously to Jesus. In verse 25, he said, yeah. When he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him, saying, what do you think, Simon? I want you to have the picture in your mind's eye. As soon as Peter walks into the house, Jesus meets him at the door and says, pardon me, let's talk a little bit. When he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him, saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? Peter said to him, from strangers. Jesus said to them, Then the sons are free. Nevertheless, lest we offend them, those who receive, cast in the hook, and take the fish that comes up first. And when you have opened his mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and you. Now notice what 
you can see. If you're already thinking, the next time I go fishing, I'm going to pray and I'm going to get a fish with a $500 bill in his mouth. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be wonderful if that's the way it works? God's not about things like that. God's not about that. never has been about that. There is a picture here we need to get real quick. Peter tries to speak for God. He had lost his horse sense, or his fish sense, if you will. Peter lost his horse sense, and he tried to speak for God. And unfortunately, that seems to be happening more and more nowadays. You watch these people get on YouTube. You watch them get in other churches, and they speak for God. They write books and try to speak for God as though they were a mouthpiece for God. You know what's really happening? know what's really happening? What they're saying is, if I was God, this is what I would do. If I was God, this is how I would treat you. I want you to know from the gospel, God already has a plan set to reach this world. I want you to know from the Bible, God already has a plan set. Now, we don't have to make that plan look greater. We don't have to make that plan look smaller. We don't have to make God look more loving. We don't have to make God look more vengeful. I want you to know that the cross is what God has chosen to use to redeem this world. And if we will go back to what the Bible says, back to the preaching of Jesus and the cross, Jesus and Him crucified, that we will win this world back to the cross again. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Bible in Isaiah 65, 8 and 9. My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For if the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts, then your thoughts. You don't have to make that cross look more loving, though we do it all the time. We try to take the strangest and the strongest love story out of the cross. We take the most desperate person who becomes a Christian and say, God can change him. Grace more appealing. All you got to do is make the cross more appealing. Sometimes we speak presumptuously in the name of the Lord. Sometimes we, like Peter, we say, Well, I think I know what God wants. I think I know how God would answer that. And if I was God, this is what I would do. So when those tax collectors came up to Peter, they said, Yes, Jesus paid taxes. Deuteronomy 18, verses 20 to 22. Let's find out what the Bible says about those who speak presumptuously in the name of the Lord. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? This is how we know it. Look at verse 22. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. Shall not be afraid of him. Peter spoke presumptuously, and Jesus met him at the door. Though he got a lesson, and though he got grace, he took it upon himself to speak for Jesus. And we do that a lot too often. Let me tell you what God's going to do. We don't know what God's going to do. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And let's read one more. This one's not from the Bible. This one's from something they created. That's right. That's a chicken with eggs. That's one of my favorite dishes right there, chicken wing, man. That chicken has eggs all around it. Though we may try, we cannot. 
seven, eight, three, eight, that is. In fact, we don't really know how the chicken does it. Chicken can eat anything. He can eat green beans. I see the chicken eat green beans. She can eat rice. She can eat insects. She can eat a piece of, of gravel. She can eat anything. And out in the morning comes that same identical sealed package with an egg. We can manipulate the color of the shell sometimes. We can manipulate sometimes the taste of the yolk, how irony it is. But we cannot recreate that egg. So let me ask you a question. Is the chicken smarter than mankind? Perhaps, you may say. Perhaps. We have not figured out how the chicken does that. Take a look at a cow. A cow, you can feed it anything, and yet it will still produce milk. You can give it fat. You can give it a, a hamburger. It doesn't matter what you give it. You can it produce milk. Now, I'm tell you another truth. It doesn't matter if you give it chocolate. It will not give chocolate milk. Some people think that to this day. But it doesn't matter. It always produces milk. So we can't quite do that genetically either. We have ways of taking the cow's milk base and dehydrating it or building uh, lactose and calling it milk for people and things like that. But we can't quite simulate that milk. Are we smarter than cows? Probably not. Probably not. And Balaam wasn't smarter than he thought he was. Perhaps you even sitting there saying, Pastor, I kind of feel like I've lost my way. I kind of feel like I've run into a battle and I don't have a direction that I need. I kind of feel like I've run to see what's going on and I just don't have that direction that I need. Or perhaps you say, I'm like Balaam and I've lost my spirituality. And the people around me are seeing angels and they're seeing God work seeing God all around me, and I'm mad. Why don't you listen to the advice of the donkey? Why don't you listen to the advice of the donkey? The donkey says, what have I done to earn your respect? Have I not been yours since your infancy? If you listen to the God of the Bible, He's got a message for you. And that message is in His Word. Perhaps you say, Pastor, I feel a lot like Nebuchadnezzar. I've walked out saying, look what I've done in my life. And look what I've done in my heart. And look how good I've done. And then I'm sudden, it's all worked down to me. Perhaps you might be kind of like this one here. Turn with me to Isaiah 53 and complete our message. Isaiah 53 and verse 6. We've lost our horsemen. In fact, all of us have. The Bible tells us that all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. You might look at it as a horse. You might look at it as a donkey. You might look at it as a chicken or a cow. It doesn't matter. The truth is, is that we've all went astray. And every one of us has decided to go our own way. And every one of us has said, I can do it on my own. And every one of us has spoke presumptuously in the name of God. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. And we have turned every one to his own way. Perhaps that's where you are right now. You begin to realize, I need a Savior. I need a rider. Jesus answers those questions. In John chapter 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. You know what Jesus did for you. You don't need me to tell you. You already know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know that He had died for you on the cross. You know that He was buried and resurrected. And you know that He has ascended into heaven. The problem is that you don't want to accept this Lordship. And it makes you a horse. 